hello. Um, I think we're live. I am. Uh, I got my tripod today. I promised that I would do a live Facebook feed when I no longer had to hold the phone uh, from this kind of angle. Um, so this is my first non-handheld Facebook live. Um, I don't know what you call it intervention. And uh, just I, as I say, still experimenting with this, trying to work it out. But I thought today I would uh, chat for a little bit about some of the stuff I've been writing and thinking about. And uh, then, you know, you can ask questions and I'll try to respond to some of them. Hi, Lauren, how's it going? Um, there's no sound. Can anybody else hear me? Um, Jeff can't hear anything. It's either my problem or it's your problem, Jeff. And I don't know, are you a betting man? Uh, yeah, if you're a betting man, you've just lost, you owe me a drink because everybody else can hear me. Um, I apologize. Maybe I don't apologize. Maybe it's better if you can't hear me. I don't know. But anyway, um, I have been writing again. Um, I've spent, to be honest, the last few months, I've been traveling a lot, running around. Um, I was back in Ireland for a while and I just haven't had time to write a book that is in my head. Uh, I actually wrote half of it about a year ago and then left it and I'm returning to it now. So I've been doing a little bit of writing recently. I'm also prepping for the Omega course, uh, which will be starting in a few weeks. And I'm going to Grand Rapids, sorry, not Grand Rapids. Yes, Grand Rapids, that's right, Grand Rapids, um, for a couple of days. So got plenty on, but the writing is what I'm primarily concentrating on, and this Omega course. So I thought I would, uh, uh, for those of you who couldn't be bothered reading my blog, I know who you are. Um, even though they're very short, um, I know a lot of you don't even click through. In fact, who does blogs anymore? I've really got to find a different platform. I suppose this is what that platform is, because... Uh, websites and blogs seem so much a thing of the past but I still blog regularly I like it as a medium and I've been blogging a little bit about the material that I'm going to be using on the Omega course um, so I'll, I'll talk a little bit about the first one uh, which is going to be the first week um, of the course and it's on a religionless reading of faith um, so very briefly faith is often thought of as something that religious people embrace. It's a, it's a specific thing for a specific group of people. But Paul Tillich, uh, he, the way he defines faith is faith is not something that's specific to a certain group of religious people. It's not something that is for a particular group in the world with a particular belief. Uh, for Paul Tillich, faith is a, is a human uh, thing and it's the experience of giving ultimate concern to something and that's it in a nutshell faith is the word that describes an excessive attachment to something which you are prepared to live and die for and uh, an example of this you can see it in, in great love affairs you read about it in great Russian literature uh, it's about those people who will do anything for their, their country or their beloved um, or their children. But also 
uh, at a very simple level. You see it in the child who refuses to eat their vegetables and who will sit in a chair and not move and refuse to eat the vegetables, even though it would be a lot simpler for them if they just ate the Brussels sprouts, right? Uh, I have a friend who, when he was young, he would refuse to eat his vegetables. And one time his parents were just exasperated and they told him that he would have to sit there until he ate them. And he sat there for hours, hours and hours. He just would not do it. And eventually his parents broke. Uh, that's ultimate concern. That is an ultimate concern with not eating your vegetables. So Paul Tillich starts with this description. Uh, and then he says, another thing people think is that faith is a good thing. Uh, so one is we think it's for a particular group of people. And then secondly, that, you know, faith is good. But he says, well, faith in and of itself can be diabolical, can be horrific. Uh, you know, if you have an excessive concern for your nation and you say, whatever my nation does, right or wrong, whoever it bombs, whoever it tortures, my nation and I will die for it. That is a form of ultimate concern. So it's a form of faith in a sense. But Paul Tillich would call it idolatrous faith or demonic faith. Uh, because what you're doing is you're giving ultimate concern to something that isn't ultimate. Something that doesn't deserve ultimacy. Uh, also, if you have a kid and you know, no matter what the parents say or what teachers say, your kid is always right. If the teacher comes in and says, little Johnny burnt the school down, he was smoking a cigarette in the classroom, set fire to the room and then left. Uh, if the parents say, listen, this little Johnny would never do that. Little Johnny's an angel. And anyway, little Johnny says that, first of all, he doesn't smoke. And second of all, uh, you know, the, uh, Second of all, he put the cigarette out before he even went into the class. And thirdly, he says that the class was already on fire when he sat down, right? Any excuse, all mutually contradictory, but any excuse to say little Johnny is an angel. That's a form of, you know, having excessive attachment to your child, which is a good thing, but, but attaching to them in this kind of negative way. Now, the opposite isn't having a lack of attachment. This is what Paul Tillich's against, where you have no care and concern for the world. The opposite is, and if I can say this in a nutshell, and then I'll look at some of the comments and questions, and don't worry if they're completely not related to this. Um, he says that, that faith is an excessive attachment to something, but it's an attachment to that part of it which is ultimate, which is infinite. So, for example, you could actually have a non-idolatrous uh, form of patriotism where you say, I love my nation. You know, I say I'm an American. I go, I'm an American. And I believe that my country stands for democracy and freedom and justice. And so if my government uh, stands against those principles, I will stand against it as a patriot, as someone who loves my country. So that's an excessive attachment again to the country, but you're attaching to these principles of democracy, liberation and freedom. And the thing about those is you can't grasp them. You can't actually kneel down what freedom is. Because every time you try to kneel it down, it's not quite freedom. 
Every time you try to say what democracy is, it's, it's not quite democracy. These are infinite principles. These are principles that guide us, that inspire us, but that we can never lay claim to. And if we ever lay claim to them, we're missing the point. This is why, you know, Buddhists will say, if you meet the Buddhist on the road, you know, if you meet the Buddha on the road, kill him. In other words, the Buddha is, is not something that ever happens. The Buddha is not someone you meet. The Buddha is this, this which inspires you, which moves you on. So if, if ever you meet democracy on the street, if ever someone says, this is democracy, you know it's not. Because there's something about it that is a promise, uh, that, that, that causes us to act but that we can never quite kneel down. So again, an excessive attachment to your child would be that little Johnny's teacher says, you know, little Johnny misbehaved. And you, out of love for your child, try to help him uh, deal with the situation, try to help him be better. You are loving your child but you're also loving the potential of your child. You're loving the opportunities. You're loving what that child can become. So you've got this excessive attachment to something that is transcendent in the imminent. So therefore you have faith, which is ultimate concern, and you have negative ultimate concern, which is where you have faith in something finite, something that is imminent, something that is mundane, nation, state, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, but then you have non-idolatrous faith, which is faith in a cause, in a person, but that attaches to the infinite, the transcendent in that, that which, uh, you know, causes us to, uh, you know, want to see, you know, like, as I say, with the nation, we want to see democracy, we want to see freedom, we want to see equality. And we don't quite know what that looks like, but we know it doesn't look like what we see right now. And in our fidelity to our country, we fight for those very things. And that is a non-idolatrous faith. So this is kind of like a religionist reading of the word faith, which doesn't close it in to a particular tribal group but sees it as a very human phenomenon. And fertilic theology is an exploration of faith. It's about exploring what that is, what, what idolatrous faith is, what non-idolatrous faith is. And it's an invitation into a, you know, a greater form of positive non-idolatrous faith. So there you go. There's a few thoughts. If you want a lot more than that and you want to read some stuff about it, sign up to the course. Now let's have a look and see if anybody's asked any questions. Um, okay, everyone's saying they can hear me. That's good. Drinking game. It is Friday night. I mean, it's only early evening, so maybe we could. Oh, by the way, this is part of my research for the Amiga course, is I have been drinking. I bought this little advent calendar. It's called Ginvent last year, and it had, a, it had one gin for every day of advent. Now, I, I didn't keep up with it. It took me a couple of months to get through it, but I've got all these little bottles from the uh, Ginvent calendar, uh, my religious practice. And I've been trying to work out what gins will go with each week of my uh, Omega course. So uh, I did this with Atheism for Lent. I paired every week with a gin and um, I might even try a couple more gins tonight. Just, uh, you know, the work never stops, never stops. Uh, let's see. 
I can hear you, but the accent is throwing me off. Yeah, I'll tell you what, I'm from Arizona. This is completely made up. I just, I just do this accent to get away with what I get away with. Uh, if you heard me speak normally, you'd be surprised. I check your blog with every post. Ray, I don't know, are you looking for a star in your hymn book or something? But you, you get it, sir. You, are, you, are, you go to the top of the class reading my blog. You're one of the few who does. Um, let me see what else. Come to Ohio. Absolutely, you have to invite me um, and I will be there. GSA, GSA, how's it going? The friend from Australia says I'm going soft. Talk about the Eucharist. Oh yeah, that's what my whole last book was about. No, I'll do, I will do that, I promise Liam. Oh no, not Liam, sorry, Caleb. Caleb, I will talk about the Eucharist, but I'll do a separate one on that because um, it's, a, it's a subject matter I'm very interested in. But if you've read The Divine Magician, you kind of know what I'm going to say. Uh, Adam, so is that to say that there is really no difference between religious and non-religious faith, the dynamics are the same? Yeah, you know, for, for Paul Tillich, he, he is basically saying that faith is um, a state of being, it's, it's a human reality, whether you describe yourself as religious or not religious. So for Paul Tillich, um, I've used this example before, but if he saw, if he saw a debate online, uh, you know, on YouTube, where there was somebody defending Christianity because of all of the good it's done in the world, all of the, you know, the, the people who have been fed and liberation theology and, and, and the good things in it. And someone else was attacking Christianity because of all the, the, the torture and the violence that has been done in the name of Christianity. Paul Tillich would say that both of them are showing a concern for the world and both of them are showing a concern for people. Uh, a concern for um, life and therefore they're both showing faith and they're both in line with the prophets who don't care about religious you know like Amos doesn't care about religious festivals but wants justice and righteousness so yeah Paul Tillich, but then in a sense Paul Tillich is saying that that there is a religious dimension to life that uh, means that in a sense strictly speaking we're all kind of religious um, you know, even if whatever we call ourselves in. So if you define, you know, religion the way Paul Tillich does as, uh, you know, this kind of like this, this faith in um, uh, this ultimate concern. You know? Now, um, as I say, I call it religionless Christianity uh, related to Bonhoeffer. And, and I think, you know, Paul Tillich, you know, is connected with that. So, you know, we're using, we, we'd have to define our terms a bit better. Um, are you putting together pints and parables in LA? Yes, I am, Susan. Um, I just need to find a, a, a good place to do it. But I'm looking to do one in Minnesota, if any of you are in Minnesota, hopefully next month. That's the idea. How, where do you buy the Ginvent calendar, Becky? I love, by the way, that the questions oscillate between kind of like, you know, talk about the Eucharist to um, what's your favorite drink or whatever. I, it's brilliant, I, I love this. Um, so Becky, where is it? You have to buy it from a, what's it called it's a place in the uk by the way so it's really annoying it's expensive because you have to get it shipped over i actually bought it and then had it waiting for me in ireland so i didn't have to pay for the extra shipping um but it's called i think house of malt i think they're called house of malt and so if you type in ginvelt ginvent and if you remember me from previous uh videos this is always the internet symbol you type in ginvent uh you'll find it um you can get whiskey ones as well um, what is the main unifying factor 
between theism and atheism? Ooh, that's very good. Well, you know, someone like Tillich wants to draw the distinction differently. So, for example, for us, especially in the US, you know, the, the, there's a big distinction between theist and the atheist. So you draw a line between theist and the atheist. Paul Tillich wants to draw a line between those who are cared and concerned for the for transcendent values, for values that, you know, that that of democracy, freedom, love of your neighbor, et cetera, et cetera. And those who um, whose ultimate concern is for, uh, you know, uh, something finite and something non-ultimate. So he draws the line differently. And so what you have then is you have some people, you have atheists and theists on this side and atheists and theists on this side. Um, now, Paul Tillich might want to say as well that, that, that sometimes you have, um, I mean, Levinas might say this, is you have on one side people who have care and concern for the world, and then you have people who, for whatever reason, um, are you know incredibly apathetic about the world. And that's, by the way, not a slight, you know, because I've been there and I will be there again. Lots of us are. It's depression, is the lack of desire. Um, so it's, but but for whatever reason, our desire and our you know care and concern for the world is is not functioning. And um, and as I say, there's people on all sides of that in terms of beliefs. So whenever you take someone like Paul Tillich, who is a theologian and a Christian theologian, he draws lines in ways that you know still create useful distinctions, but they're very different from the lines that we we tend to draw. I mean, Tillich would would probably be very happy with the idea that anyway, theism and atheism are are very complicated in a sense of there's a bit of a theist and an atheist in us all there's there's and it's hard to know what we are like sometimes we may think oh i totally believe in god i totally believe in heaven or something like that and then you know someone dies and you you kind of are confronted with this idea of this this horror inside yourself and pain and you start to go well maybe did i really believe that or vice versa you know that sometimes what we think we believe isn't often what we believe so not only is there a little bit of atheism and theism and agnosticism in us all um, that we need to make peace with, but also um, uh, those lines might not be the most appropriate ones to draw. By the way, my phone just said my storage is almost full, so I'm worried that um, something is going to happen uh, and I'll disappear, but we'll see. Uh, prayer and meditation. I will try and do a separate one on that, Kyle. I'll talk about, because I'd love to talk about those subjects. Um, but I can't, you know, I don't want to uh, go off on another big subject. That's my plan, is actually to try and do each of these, start off and just do 10 minutes on a subject, and then Q&A. Um, let's see, talk about worship. Okay, these are great. What I'm going to try and do, so we've got, someone wants me to talk about the Eucharist. Uh, someone's asked me to talk about you know prayer. There's uh, Liam is saying you know could you talk about worship? I my brain isn't the best in terms of remembering things, but I will try to remember these and maybe over the course of the next week or two I can do all you know we can discuss all of these. Um, oh, can you define what you mean by the term religionless? Okay, that's a good last one to do um, because this course, the Omega course. Um, you know, the, the tagline is Adventures in Religionless Christianity. And uh, that word is new to some people and it can also be kind of confusing. Like, what does it mean to be religionless? And 
I think it was it was really Bonhoeffer as a theologian who who um, made use of the term in letters and papers from prison, and he started to write about a religionless Christianity, which was a, a Christianity for him. It was a Christianity that wasn't that that let go of a certain idea of God. It let go of this idea of God as this being above who makes sure everything works out well, who makes us feel good about ourselves. And basically when we don't know the answer, you know, we can just say God and then we can sleep well at night. The basically God, as he called it, Deus Ex Machina. God is this object that, that, that helps us feel good psychologically, um, but doesn't necessarily provoke um, a, tr a change of heart and a different type of life. And he talked about religionless Christianity, which was a Christianity wholly given to the world in action, um, without this, you know, this type of this type of God kind of operating in the background. Now, religionless Christianity. You know, there's there's lots of different types. And what I do is a form of religionless Christianity. Parotheology is a form of that. Um, some of them, uh, you know, all of them in a sense are critiquing the dominance religious narrative um, and understanding of God um, that you we find in the church. Um, it's, a, it's a different way of reading those things. So for example, like what I just did tonight and in, in 10 minutes, we'll be doing it in a lot more detail, but was to give a religionless reading of faith. So somebody, a religious reading of faith might be, you believe certain doctrines and dogmas, even if you don't have enough evidence, you, you know, there's revelation, you these have been revealed to you and you trust that they're true. Um, or faith might be a belief in God that's not based on, you know, philosophy. Or anything. It's, a, it's a belief that, um, that you give yourself to. Um, but this religionless reading of, of faith, if you'll notice that it's not about God as an object that you have faith in. It's about saying that when you give yourself in love to the world, you're expressing God. Um, it's it's like almost like the religious notion of God is God as an object that you love, and the religious notion is when you love, that which that what you experience is being in the heart of God. So, I mean that's 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 very that's me simplifying it a lot, but you would tend to say that in in religion God is an object that you love, and in religionless faith love is the ultimate, and in the act of love itself you know you know God and, and by you know God, because God is not this object, um, you, it kind of starts to blur the lines between theism and atheism and all of that because it's really saying that when you love, you're standing with the prophets. When you really love and, do, and act on